0: Here you go. Rental. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Wednesday, the final day of November. It is definitely not Wednesday. Hello, this is David Sampson. It's Thursday, November 30th, 2023. The word of the day is rental. Never good to rent when you can be building equity in something. If you can't find a way to get equity, you can't buy a house yet, I get it. Renting is necessary. I did it for a lot of years, decades in Manhattan. Once you get into sports, renting takes on a whole different thought process because you really would rather not view your career as always renting players. In fact, that's what we do. Very few players are with you your entire career. Very few players play on the same team their entire career. So you really are renting a player for a period of time. And in baseball, the expression a rental player generally means that they don't have a long-term deal with you and that they're going to be a free agent and they likely could leave you. I never understood why we would only refer to pre-free agent players as rentals. When we sign players to one-year deals, how are they not rentals? But we don't call them that. We're seeing a lot of players, Nick Martinez just signed the two year deal with the Reds. Why isn't he a rental? But we don't look at it that way. You trade for a guy at the trade deadline who you only have for the rest of the year, that's a rental. You trade for Juan Soto this off season, he has one year before free agency, that's a rental. I think we overused the word. So I wanted to make it a word of the day. Let's talk about Juan Soto and Scott Boris and certain things that you're hearing and certain things that you're reading that may not be true. Number one, there is a lot of talk that anyone who acquires Juan Soto, and the rumor right now is the Yankees are in line. One of the great things that the media does, and I don't blame them, I have such great respect for writers, they've gotta come up with content, and they do, every day. The Yankees and Padres are in trade discussions that are serious enough that they've begun to exchange names. Well, let me give you one little word about how trades actually work. You trade names the first phone call. Hey, would you have any interest in moving Soto? Well, yeah, would you have any interest in moving Volpe? Hey, we just exchange names. So that is not the way to discern the level of seriousness of a trade. We'll exchange names on a whim with a team over players, over a trade that is never gonna happen. Serious to me is when I call the trainer. That's a serious trade, is when you get the doc lined up and the trainer lined up to look at medical. When you go to the owner with a written letter agreement between you and another team, that's when it gets serious. When you have to call the commissioner's office to discuss the amount of money either going to another team or you're getting from another team, that's pretty serious. Exchanging names, not serious. The Padres were always gonna trade Juan Soto. For whatever reason, Scott Boras wanted you to think that he met with the Padres before Peter Seiler's passing and said, we saw their lineup, Juan Soto's in their lineup, he's a Padre, they wanna win and he's the best young player. Now, of course, it's a totally different story unless you listen to nothing personal, in which case you'd know that we told you that the Padres have to cut their payroll, having nothing to do with Peter's passing. Peter, were he to be alive, would be trading Juan Soto. When you need to get your payroll to a certain level, your GM, although God knows what Preller does, but in general, your GM and your team president go to the owner with different ways that you get your payroll down and different alternatives to cut expenses in order to save payroll. So we'll do an analysis of our draft spending. We'll do an analysis of our scouts development, of our marketing budget, of our salaries, Sort our HR budget, and we will say, hey, we can have a payroll of X plus Y if we do the following 20 things, what do you think? Sort of like Charles Grodin in the movie, Dave, when he goes to the White House and tries to balance the budget with Kevin Klein as Dave, not as the president of the United States. If you know, you know, it's one of the great scenes when an individual accountant is cutting a budget, the federal budget, and you see all the pork that's in the budget, and you say to yourself, this is crazy. Remember the one, $5 million to tell people who've already bought a car, that it's great that they bought a car, and that 5 million could go toward helping kids get off the streets? All right, do you wanna do that, Mr. Commerce Secretary? It's not exactly how it happens in real life, but it's damn close. So you go through different things in the budget. Do you wanna trade our middle infielder or do you wanna fire 30 scouts? I've had those talks before. So anyway, Juan Soto, what would I do were I to be the Padres? Trade him. So you go around and you call the other 29 teams because like Otani, like Yamamoto, everyone is in on Soto. He's a $30 million one-year player. People are saying that Scott Boris will not sign him to an extension. That's the old Scott Boris. Let me tell you about the new Scott Boris. The new Scott Boris learned from Steven Strausberg. Sometimes he will do an extension and he will do it only in instances when an owner gets bent over. That's it, totally taken advantage of. So if a team wants to trade for Juan Soto and sign him, they're going to overpay. The Padres would like a team to sign him because then they'd be willing to give up more knowing you're gonna have him for more than just a year. That's how the Padres should think. But let me bring you back in time to that great day when the Washington Nationals traded Juan Soto to the San Diego frickin' Padres. And it was a great day for baseball. We were celebrating the fact that a mid-revenue team in a mid-to-small market is able to acquire a player like Juan Soto. How great it is. Do you remember that trade? Let me go back and remind you. Juan Soto and Josh Bell went from the Nationals. Josh Bell played 53 games. Remember, this was a deadline deal. 53 games and then went to the Guardians and then after that to the Marlins, but 53 games with the Padres. Juan Soto has played 214 total games with the Padres. One year and a half. He's been good, not great, but good. The Padres is a team, bad, not mediocre, bad. So that's who the Padres got from the Nationals. Who did the Nationals get from the Padres, do you remember? Remember Luke Voigt, centerpiece of the trade? The one name that people remembered? It's so funny the way media and fans do trades. Juan Soto and Josh Bell traded to the Padres for Luke Voigt and five prospects. Luke Voigt was the throw-in, not the centerpiece. Let me give you a centerpiece. How about their starting shortstop, C.J. Abrams, in the big leagues right now? How about their starting pitcher with 27 starts last year, about 135 innings, Mackenzie Gore? That's two players so far for Soto and Bell. What about their number two prospect, James Wood, the outfielder? What about their number eight prospect, Robert Hassel third? What about their number 12 prospect, Harlan Susana? The Nationals have three of their top 12 prospects from the Padres. The Nationals have a starting pitcher and their starting shortstop. That is five players who are playing in their organization, three of whom could be in the big leagues, top 12 prospects, you'd expect them to be. Two of them already are. And they gave up Juan Soto. 214 games and the Padres didn't win anything. Who won that trade? At the time it was, wow. That's a pretty big haul, but we'll see what happens. In baseball, it's really hard to evaluate a trade the day it happens. Unlike football, to me, unlike, although football has these future draft picks that get traded, but it's hard to evaluate. Basketball is a little easier because it's cap for cap, dead money for live money, et cetera. Baseball, though, is players no one's ever heard of, so the headline is the one player you have heard of. Mike Rizzo, took complete advantage of A.J. Preller in that Juan Soto trade. Now, A.J. Preller would like to take complete advantage of Brian Cashman, except Brian Cashman did not just fall off the turnip. 4.869. Slow down, David. All right, wipe it and start from right. 8.12.9. Brian Cashman did not just fall off the turnip truck. Brian Cashman did not just fall off the turnip truck. He's been around. Not to say that he should still have his job, but he knows what he's doing. He's been in the trade room, understands value. Rumor that the Padres want to get a haul for Juan Soto, Anthony Volpe, maybe Clark Schmidt, maybe Jason Dominguez, maybe all three. Meanwhile, the Yankees are trying to acquire a left-handed bat. Juan Soto, but they're also in the market with another Scott Boris client. How about Cody Bellinger, the former MVP with the Dodgers, who then fell out of favor, got non-tendered, signed with the Cubs, rehabilitated himself, and now is looking to cash in. You better be getting the recent Bellinger instead of the semi-recent Bellinger, or maybe if you're lucky, the old Bellinger. But Scott Boris is representing both Bellinger and Soto. So when he's speaking to Brian Cashman, I wonder how that goes. Brian, if you trade for Soto, I'm happy to talk about an extension. Well, but Scott, what about Bellinger? Well, Bellinger is a different story. That's what Scott would always tell me. That was his big line. I'm able to represent all these people with no conflict of interest, because when I'm talking, he would always say, when I'm talking about this player, that's all I'm thinking about. I am tunnel vision. I don't think about anything else or any of my other clients. And I would just laugh with Larry and Mike and we'd laugh at what an absolute blowhole it is because of course, you're thinking about your other clients and you're trying to manipulate the owners and the GMs. But the Yankees can't trade for Soto and sign Bellinger. People are thinking that the Yankees will do it. People are thinking the Yankees are in on Otani, they're in on Yamamoto, they're in on Bellinger, they're in on Soto. They're not getting all four. So the strategy is when you have multiple irons in the fire is you use the agents and you give them each timelines. If one of them is a trade scenario, one of them is a free agent scenario, then you use the GM of the team you're trading with and the agent of the free agent you're negotiating with and you give them different times. So what you'll say to the agent is, hey, we're gonna need some progress, by December 15th, or you say to the GM, hey, listen, we're gonna go another direction. We'd like to get serious about Soto, but we're not gonna talk about Volpe, Dominguez and Schmidt. We'll talk about one of those three, plus a major league ready player, plus another sort of prospect. We'll go three for one, but that's it. But the centerpiece will be a really good player, a really good major league ready young player. Three for one is all we're gonna do because we are treating this like a one season rental. Look what you traded to get Soto, but you had two seasons with him, two and a half seasons. The fact that you're not taking advantage of the last season, that's not my problem. So you establish what Soto's worth from a Yankee standpoint. You tell AJ Preller what you are willing to give. And you don't change your mind, but you say, If we don't have this done by the end of the winter meetings, we will have to, and we'll go a different direction, then we will be out. So go ahead, and if you like other prospects or you like other teams, and other teams are willing to take on Soto's 30 after sort of an okay year, I mean a good year, but not a Soto-like year, then no problem. Then you call up Boris and say, hey, I've got a few things in the fire but you don't really lie to Boris because when it's the same agent who represents both players you're dealing with in a trade and free agent scenario, you're just honest with the agent. Hey Scott, of course, we're talking to the Padres about Soto. We're talking to you about Bellinger. We can't take both. We've told the Padres what we're willing to do. We've told you what we're willing to do. And this is what we'd say to the agent. We would say, we're gonna do whichever comes first. Of course, the front office doesn't really act that way. You don't say, oh, we're gonna have three things in mind, and whoever says yes first, we're gonna go with. No, we rank what we want, we put a timeline on what we want, and we try to manipulate it so we get what we want. Like the order of the players we want to acquire either through trade or free agency. So it's gonna be interesting to watch. The reason why you're hearing a lot about the winter meetings right now is they're next week. And baseball encourages GMs and writers and any PR people to talk up the hot stove. So that's why you're hearing people say, Otani oh, may signed you in the winter meetings. You're hearing Soto may get traded at the winter meetings. This could happen even prior to the winter meetings. The commissioner's office and the owners get together. And we've talked about this. We wanna own this week. It's in the middle of the NFL season. It's in the middle of the NBA season. But we want this to be a great hot stove moment with we want our broadcasters there live. We want programming, ancillary programming. And what the broadcasters want is they want action. They don't want to see Nick Martinez sign with the Reds. They want to see Shohei Otani sign with the Angels or the Dodgers. They want to see Juan Soto traded. At the winter meetings, there's a huge ballroom that is permanently set up, the whole winter meetings, as a press conference room. And what baseball says to you as a team president, hey, when you're making a move, try to make it during the winter meetings, let us know what you've done, even though we have to give you permission for what you do because MLB signs off on everything. We will decide whether it is room worthy. Room worthy is when you do a transaction where you get the use of MLB's huge winter, median, winter meetings PR podium a Juan Soto trade, a Shohei Ohtani signing, that is the type of thing that will definitely go in the room. When you see a Nick Martinez, that wouldn't go in the room. And if that does go in the room, it only goes in the last day of the winter meetings when MLB and the commissioner are despondent because nothing else big happened. So the biggest thing that we're waiting for is Ohtani. And so these rumors, Ohtani talks are intensifying. Could be winter meetings, very complicated deal. John Morosi came out and said, the San Francisco Giants are in. They're prioritizing Otani or Yamamoto. John is a great finder of information, has great sources, but that's not exactly a brilliant statement. And the reason it's not, and I'm not being critical of John, I'm smiling because as teams, this is the kind of stuff we would tell the media. We want it out there with the conjunction of or not and. And the reason we want the ors out there is we wanna be able to say to the agent, if you don't take our deal, we are going a different direction. And once we go a different direction, we're not coming back. So if you're lying about all the other teams who are interested, and you're lying about the level of their interest, no problem. You lie anyway to us, the agents do, for the most part. But we're gonna tell you that your player is one half of an or. And you're gonna hear about it both from us and through the media to make sure you realize we're telling you the truth. The Giants are always the or, Judge or Correa. Settle with Conforto. Now they're serious about Otani or Yamamoto. I wonder whether the Dodgers are serious about Otani or Yamamoto. I wonder if the Mets are serious about Otani or Yamamoto. I wonder whether the Yankees are serious about Otani or Yamamoto. I wonder whether the Guardians are serious about Otani or Yamamoto. Certainly not an and. Who wouldn't show interest? We'd call up the agent of every top free agent and say, hey, we'd have interest. Well, are you going to get to $42 million a year? Nope. Thank you. We have noted your interest. Hey, if he gets down in the 20 range, give us a call. Miami's good, no state taxes. That was a very common thing with agents prior to the winter meetings because you're meeting with them. You're talking to them, texting with them. You give them the or, you give them your offer. You give them the range. When it's a player who's a reach like the Guardians and Otani, you still check in with the agent and say, hey, we'd have interest at this amount. Let us know, let us know. Otani talks intensifying, that's pretty good. Mets fans, you happy about Luis Severino? $13 million. I read that the going market for a average veteran starter is now $10 million plus. It used to be $8 million plus 20 years ago for a veteran, an innings eater is what we would call it. Luis Severino is not that. He's an injured player who has had great years, but they're getting more and more in the rearview mirror. But for the Mets, one year 13 is the same as the Marlins doing one year seven or one year eight, if not less. If you do it actually in a linear way, if the Mets have a payroll of 300 and the Marlins have a payroll of 100, then if the Marlins value a player at seven, in theory, the Mets would be willing to pay that player 21. You with me on the math? Luis Severino is going to prove to be a waste of money. He is not a clubhouse leader. He's not a healthy player. They're trying to plug holes in their rotation, but anything short of Yamamoto will not make Mets fans happy. That is what I guess. New York people generally are Mets. What is it, Coca? Mets, Jets, Islanders, and Yankees, Giants, Rangers, Knicks, and the other side is Mets, Jets, Nets. That's funny, they all rhyme. And then Islanders. The Jets are back in the news, it's so good. Aaron Rodgers, bless his soul. Did you tear your Achilles, Aaron? You told McAfee, you did. We heard on Lebitard a conspiracy theory that maybe it didn't. I saw that thing roll up like a carpet. I don't see a scenario into which he didn't tear it. And you, old Aaron, A Rod, do people call him A Rod? I just realized, Coca. I mean, now you would doubt that. There's an E Rod, there's an A Rod, there's a J Rod. What is Aaron Rodgers' nickname? Does he have a nickname? I'm not going to call him A Rod. I'm just going to call him Rodgers. He has, since he tore his Achilles in the first series of his Jets career, he has been focusing on coming back this season, because he wants to be known as the fastest player to ever come back from an Achilles tendon tear. I'm saluting you, Aaron Rodgers. And the reason I'm saluting you is that type of behavior we need more of. And I'm happy to criticize you and your ayahuasca and your lack of being a great teammate, unwilling to teach Jordan Love, but willing to teach Zach Wilson, give me a break, not being as good as the contract that you get. We could talk about all that, but the desire to come back, and this is when my life as a consequentialist really drives home because it doesn't matter that Aaron Rodgers wants to come back because he wants to be known as the one guy who's ever come back the fastest. It doesn't really matter to me that Aaron Rodgers wants to come back because He has an ego the size of California. The fact is he wants to come back. And I spent 18 years surrounded by players who didn't want to come back, who didn't work their asses off. Some did, some did, some really, really did. Other guys, hey, ooh, I got a little pain. Oh, I got a little knee thing. Oh, my back, oh, my elbow. Can't come back, can't play, not ready. Dude, you've been out for six weeks. Are you ready yet? Almost come on. We're running out of time this season. All we do is pay you not to play. I know, isn't that terrific? No, it's terrible. Aaron Rodgers gets a lot of credit. He was cleared for functional football activity. I don't know what the hell that means. Functional football activity means you can't get touched. I think it's like wearing the red jersey in practice if you're the quarterback. Hey, don't touch me, MC Hammer. 21 days is the rule. So, Woody Johnson has 21 days to talk to Aaron Rodgers to figure out whether Aaron Rodgers is gonna come back this year. And here's my thought. It is irresponsible, if not outright wrong for the New York Jets to activate Aaron Rodgers this year. To have Aaron Rodgers behind center of an offensive line that is so porous it makes Swiss cheese look like Jarlsberg it will be one or two plays when he will be either forced to A, scramble, or B, take a knee because people will be descending upon him like hail and locusts during Passover. I don't want my quarterback to get hurt like that. For what? If we have a chance to play in the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship or AFC Championship, I'm good. I don't care if everyone gets hurt. We have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. We have a chance to make the playoffs for a team that has not been successful. Come on back, Aaron. What exactly is him coming back for the commanders in 24 days? What exactly will that do for the Jets season? Nothing. Have you watched them? You think they're just an Aaron Rodgers away from being good? Maybe you were all wrong preseason. Maybe you didn't realize how bad the offensive line was, the injuries, et cetera, whatever. The fact is that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are going to have to be the bad guys here. And the irony is that they're the ones who may be fighting for their jobs, given the lack of performance of the Jets, thinking let us Rogers come back, maybe our performance will get better and we won't suck too badly and then we'll keep our jobs. And that's the reason why I love long-term contracts. Because when executives are on short-term deals, they tend to act in the short-term interest. In their own best interest. When you give someone the security of a long-term deal, you say to them, "We, you've got the rope, you've got the ability, the space to do what's right over time." But you better hurry, or else we'll fire you after a season. Hi, I'm David Tepper. Oh, that would have been so much better. Coca, ready? Two eight six nine. Or we're gonna fire you in the middle of your first season, and I'm David Tepper. Yes, it's true. No NFL player has returned from Achilles this quickly. If he actually comes back, it would be historic. It may change the way we would view Achilles injuries. And I guess it's not impossible. My last thing on this, Coca, I go back to number 43 of the Knicks many, many years ago, Toby Knight. You've heard him on Nothing Personal. Hello, Toby. When he tore his ACL, I was DBR, very sad because his career was over, done. Now you tell your ACL, hey, eight months, six months, 12 months, you're back, and you're back and better than ever. There's been progress. Is progress from doctors only, or is it from patients who push the training and the rehabilitation, push the healing? I am all for players who are willing to do that, and to the extent that Aaron Rodgers is that, that is great news. For all the other people who dilly-dally with their Achilles injuries thinking I got the year, God forbid Rodgers comes back this season because that changes every equation for you, the injured, as well as for us, the pain of the injured. All right, we come back. We're going to review number 71 of my top 100. Today is Thursday. We're reviewing Inception, and we will choose our next movie for next Thursday for my top 100. And we're going to give you a little Mark Cuban update because after yesterday, you'd think there'd be an update, and you'd be right. Hello, it's David Sampson and Matthew Coca. Hope you're doing well on this random Thursday, November 30th. Please, thank you, rate, review, subscribe. Coca, do you know what's happening now? It's end of the year. Although it's only 11, 12 done. I don't like saying something's over when there's still like you go to a game and there's two, you're two minutes into the fourth quarter and people are like, "All right, you ready to leave?" Well, there's 25 percent of a game left or when there's six minutes left in a basketball game in the fourth quarter, that's still one eighth. It's like 12% left. I don't wanna keep giving that up. There's a whole month left. There's one twelfth of a year left, but already it's too early to say happy new year. It's too late to say happy Thanksgiving, but your apps are giving you your year of podcast consumption. And I'm hearing from so many of you on davidsampsonpodcast.com, go to it right now keep buying the merch and wearing it and sending me photos. I love it. Love you in the horse hockey shirts. I love you in the diamond MPDS. All of you who are buying all the swag and representing us, thank you. And for those of you sending me photos of your breakdown of your podcast, showing me in your top five, even your number one, with the thousands and thousands of minutes that you give to me every year for 11 twelfths of the year, I have two messages, one, There's still a month left of the year, so don't stop. And two, thank you. I don't take your time for granted. I don't take your loyalty for granted. Hit subscribe. My name's David Sampson. Here's our website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. Inception is the 71st favorite movie on my list of 100. Coca asked me to watch these. It was, I can't remember whose idea it was to review a top 100 movie for the next 100 weeks and then decide after watching all 100 whether or not I'm going to change my order. Some of the movies I watch over and over again, I hadn't seen Inception in a while. I had actually forgotten that Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer is in Inception. I hadn't thought about Ellen Page, who's now Elliot Page. I didn't remember her being in Inception. I focused always on Leonardo DiCaprio. I didn't remember Tom Hardy in Inception. Isn't that unbelievable? So I'm watching this movie and the only thing I'm thinking about, I remember Michael Caine as his father-in-law. I remember Joseph Gordon-Levitt. The only thing I'm thinking about is Christopher Nolan who did Oppenheimer. Inception is so much better than Oppenheimer because I watched them both within a week. And it's so important to watch Inception multiple times. I understood it way more. I caught things this week in Inception that I completely missed the first few times I saw it. And that's something that Christopher Nolan's really good at. Memento was totally different the second and third time I saw it as well. Same with The Prestige. So I wonder whether I need to watch Oppenheimer again because maybe I will appreciate it in a totally different way. And my commitment to Christopher Nolan in return for all the great hours he's given me of entertainment, is I will watch Oppenheimer again next month before the Oscars, and I will see what that does. For Inception, when a new list comes out, I can assure you Inception is moving up the list. It's absolutely brilliant. I want to get one of those jacks, the spinning jacks that Leonardo DiCaprio has. Of course, I'd love to get that exact jack, but the spinning thing to know whether you're in reality or whether you're not in reality. And are you dreaming, are you not dreaming? And the movie ends with you not knowing, is he dreaming, is he not dreaming? And for those of you who wanna know whether or not the top stops, the answer is no one knows because the author himself doesn't know, that's the whole point. Who cares? People spend their whole life, are we in a dream? Are we somebody else's dream? Is our reality somebody else's dream? Are we just little people in some sort of, what is it, Coca, simulate a simulator? Is our whole life a simulation of somebody else? I don't know, but have a good Thursday. Does it matter if is dreaming, if he's happy? Remember earlier in the movie, those people who go down in, was it Bangladesh? And they come for four hours a day to dream? Anyway, Inception, I'm in. All right, Coca. Here we do. We're going live on the number generator right now. So it says one to a hundred. There's an eight on there. I don't know why it's not eight. I haven't hit the button yet, but one to a hundred, I'm generating. Here I go, generate. What's the number? Oh my God, it's number one. There's no way. Should I do it again? No, I'm gonna watch number one. Number one on my list. I hope it's still fearless, Coca, is it? It better be. Yeah, I get to watch fearless again. That makes me happy. Jeff Bridges, directed by Peter Weir with Rosie Perez, Isabella Rossellini. I mean, who doesn't want to watch their number one movie? That is so bizarre that that just came up. All right, let's give a Cuban update. I got to see if something's going on here because you'd think that I wouldn't be getting texts from John Skipper and Dan Lebitard in the middle of a show, but I am. And I'm seeing whether, yeah, totally random, not relevant. At all. I record nothing personal every day. I'm the most consistent person at Metal Arc. 8 to 8.45 every day. Am I wrong that I shouldn't be getting texted? Okay. Mark Cuban. Or what you're saying is don't look at your phone. Yeah, but what if there's an emergency? Dan's response, ha. <laughs> he wrote, ha. I s- he sends me something that he wants. I wrote recording. He wrote, ha. What does that even mean? By the way, the local hour I think is live today. Oh no, it is live today, it's Thursday. It's also live tomorrow, Friday. All right, Mark Cuban update. Metal Ark, we cross promote really well. Do you remember yesterday, I talked about Mark Cuban in Diversifying and I told you that he sold his company and I said it was Broadcom? Well, thank you for the correction. Somebody sent a quick correction. It is, it was broadcast.com, not Broadcom. So thank you for that. I like when I get corrected because I make mistakes. It's totally normal to make mistakes. But here's a mistake I didn't make. All those reports about Mark Cuban keeping control with a minority stake in the Dallas Mavericks got washed away the same day that everyone said it was happening. A statement came out. In addition... It confirmed what I told you. It's the Adelson and Dumont family. Who's Dumont, you ask? That's his son-in-law. Excuse me, that's her son-in-law. 78-year-old Miriam Adelson is not going to be the governor of the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. So the, the statement that came out, the Dallas Mavericks is one of the world's most successful and recognizable sports franchises. The team has won an NBA championship. Big whoop. Has a long history of attracting international superstars. Okay. (laughs) And has been supported by a dedicated and passionate fan base and leadership group led by Mark Cuban. That's such a nice introductory statement. The Adelson and Dumont families are honored to have the opportunity to be stewards of this great franchise. Wait till the governor gets announced. It's gonna have a last name, Dumont, not Adelson, but you'll you'll hear me later. The agreement has them as the governor. They're in charge, they're in control. It's a binding purchase agreement. There's still rumors that Cuban's gonna be the president of baseball operations or in charge of the basketball operation. Wait to see. He's definitely maintaining a stake. That is very common could even be up to 20%. All this talk about running for president and then Mark Cuban had a statement that he's hoping for the Venetian, a Venetian style casino to be in Dallas. Here's a little news alert. Texas doesn't allow gambling. Now they may in 2025, 2026, 2028, maybe this is a play for Mark Cuban's kids 10 years from now or Dumont's kids 15 years from now. Maybe they wanna be front and center when gambling's allowed in Dallas and they want to develop a a casino just like Stevie Cohn. This Wasn't it just recently, Coca, that Cohn released those uh, drawings of the chop shops in Queens with the Hard Rock, that big casino? They've got everything but permission. Outstanding. All they need is money and permission, and they got it. In Texas, all they need is money, permission, and actually legalized gambling. That's it. Not too much to ask, but no, no, that's the play. There are people in Vegas who are saying, oh, the Adelsons, they're gonna move the team to Vegas. They don't wanna own a team in Dallas. I've got two words for you, private plane. Nothing personal pick of the day. We're hot. I mean, I get criticized when I'm cold and I tell you to fade me. Don't fade me now. Because if you fade me now, you take away the biggest profit of yours. Lakers, seven over the Pistons. I told you Lakers by a touchdown. How is that possible? They lost by 40 to the Sixers. They were going to come back against a team coached by the rich Monty Williams, the highest paid coach whose team stinks. They lost their 15th in a row, and it was a very close game the entire way. And the Lakers pulled away to win by 69 points at the end. So we are 180 and 171. Tonight is Thursday night football. Did you see the Amazon Good Friday? It wasn't called Good Friday. It was called something else. The Amazon, thank you, Coca, Black Friday. Did you see the the streams, the viewers? Amazon had its lowest game ever, the three o'clock game on Friday between the Jets and Dolphins. Turns out the Jets fans may not have been watching without Aaron Rodgers and that fans around the country really didn't give a flying rat's pituitary gland about that game, even with the Dolphins being a good team and with the Jets being in New York. And it turns out that in order to shop on Amazon, you don't necessarily need to be watching the football game. Shh, don't tell Roger Goodell this. We got to keep up appearances. We gotta keep telling people that the broadcast partners are generating business for their ancillary revenue streams by buying the rights to our games. Shh, be very, very quiet. Except then the numbers come out and you say, oh, ah, but it was a Friday, not a Thursday. It was the first time people aren't used to it. Coke is whispering in my ear. Stop saying it's the lowest. It's the most ever watched Black Friday game. You are, listen. There's a guy, normally people don't think of Matt Coke as a glass half full kind of guy. He's sort of the guy who's got the cloud over his head and like the beginning title, title credits to Honeymoon in Vegas with Nicolas Cage walking, walking, walking. That's true. It's the highest rated ever Black Friday game. All right, we got a game tonight. We're back to Thursday night on Amazon. Al Michaels has to be happy. They've got the Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks. Let me give you a parlay, because I'm feeling good about the parlays. We're taking the Cowboys in the money line, which you say, what's the big deal? The Cowboys are favored by nine, but I'm parlaying that with the over 47 and a half. This segment is brought to you by David Sampson. Cowboys money line and over 47 and a half is a parlay, and you're gonna get plus 141. Get it in now. But then my second wager is to assuage any concerns you have of not being there when the Cowboys crush the Seahawks. You're right. I'm there for you. Cowboys minus nine over the Seahawks. That's my second play. So we're rooting for the Cowboys to beat the Seahawks 48 to zero. And the Cowboys offense, they score 30 points like they get out of the bed in the middle of the night and go pee pee. Okay. We have a few minutes left, Coca. We got a bunch of things we can talk about. I really wanna talk about number nine. Are you going to let me or you want me to go right to seven? It's totally up to you. Where's your head right now? What do you want to hear in these remaining four minutes? Because we have so many things we couldn't get to. Coca has absolutely gone AWOL. I'm going to talk about Andre Dawson. I love Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson, I worked with him from 2002 to 2017. He's a Hall of Famer. Going to the Hall of Fame, his Hall of Fame induction, 2010. It's the last time I went to an induction. And the next time will be for Ichiro. I was so honored to be a part of that. And I got to watch every home game with Andre Dawson and Tony Perez. Those are the guys fired by Jeter as soon as he took over the team. And they have not come back yet. Dawson works for the Cubs. Andre's in the news and he did not call me about this. And I must tell you, I have not spoken to him about this. Andre Dawson has contacted the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown and asked to be the first player of all time to have his plaque switched. He went in as an expo and he wants to have gone in as a cub and he wants to be remembered forever as a cub, not an expo. He wrote a very thoughtful letter to Jane Forbes Clark and I understand exactly why he's saying that He feels his MVP came with the Cubs which it did, he's still with the Cubs, he's associated with the Cubs, he's back with the Cubs. I love him to be a Marlin. He didn't really play for us, but big part of our organization. He's got a ring on his finger from 2003. The problem if Andre had called me and I would have told him directly is that I have great respect for you doing this, but you have to think about precedent. If the Hall of Fame allows you to change your plaque from Expos to Cubs. What that means is that any player who in theory has no say upon being inducted into the Hall of Fame, because the way it works is the board of the Hall of Fame, which is made up of the majority of owners of MLB, but it's really the commissioner, they decide what cap players wear. Do they consult with people? Whatever. Sure, a little bit. Was it nice to have an Expos presence in the Hall of Fame? 100%. When people think of Andre Dawson, they think Expos or Cubs? Both, and that's okay. There are many players you think both. Or more than two. A-Rod, what do you think of? Do you only think of Yankees? Because he won his title there? Hard not to think of him with the Mariners. I mean, of course, we're not going to have to worry about what Cappy wears in the Hall of Fame. But I'm just saying there are many players who have... Different teams. The Hall of Fame can't start doing this. Even if you volunteer to pay for remaking the plaque, the induction ceremonies memorialized from 2010 that has you going in as, as an expo. And when future generations go to Cooperstown long after you and I are, you know, six feet over, they want to see what was there. That's the purpose of preserving history. So I respect him for doing it. It's not going to happen. So Andre, I hate to add you to my list of wait to sees, but I'm going to do it. Wait to sees when we tell you something's going to happen. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, we'll be back to you. Uh, The Hall of Fame is going to deny Andre's wishes to change caps. That is an official wait to see. And for that, Andre, I'm sorry. I can't tell you how much I miss having you and miss watching games with you. More than you'll ever know. Me, you, and Tony, and Conine, what a group. All runs come to an end, just like this show, but we'll be back tomorrow. It's just business. This is nothing personal.